Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I have a guest with me today, Lauren Midgley. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, Henry. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Let me give our listeners a little bit of background on you, and then I'll have you add to it. Uh, Lauren became an entrepreneur back in 2010 after a 25-plus year career with two Fortune 500 companies in a variety of positions, including franchise development, sales, and marketing. Uh, she's highly skilled at helping others with their personal productivity, which we're going to dive into here in this episode. Uh, she also works in helping people with their accountability, leadership, sales growth, and marketing. Her goal is to shift your thinking in action to get results. Now, Lauren is a professional member of the National Speaker Association and is on the board of the North Texas chapter of the National Speaker Association. She has an MBA and an undergrad degree in marketing, and she acquired the Certified Franchise Executive Certification oof, from the International Franchise Association. And she's based here in the Dallas area where I am. So once again, Lauren, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the show. Please add to that background and tell us what you're up to these days. Thanks, Henry. So what I'm up to these days really is twofold. One, I uh, seek speaking engagements to work with companies at their conferences or uh, within a company with their leadership team uh, or employee team to be more productive. And then the other area is I just do one-on-one consulting with business owners on, I always like to say, what what's not happening in your business that needs to happen that will lead to either profits or revenue. And uh, so I enjoy both of those aspects um, of business. Um, so as you can see, I've got, you know, I'm very focused in the, in the business background, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And then I did not mention at the outset, but you have a book, which I have read, which is great. I'm going to ask questions about it. This interview is called It's 6 a.m. and I'm Already Behind. It's a book that focuses on 30 strategies to get caught up in a crazy, crazy busy world. I had this book on my desk and my daughter, who's off to college now, walked in and looked at it and says, I need to read that. (laughs) (laughs) She's trying to get better and better at, you know, organizing and managing her schedule. And so she probably is going to read it when she she gets an opportunity to. So that's a book we're going to dive into. Great book. Recommend to our listeners and there'll be a link to it on the show notes page to this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. So you're in the DFW area as I am. You've been in this area for a long time? I've been here since 2004, and I too have uh, two college kids as well, uh, soon to be uh, this week an empty nester again. Oh, Looking wow. forward to that, you know. Right. <laughs> so An empty nester again. You had one come back for a while? Nope, nope, nope. But you know how they come home for the summer and you enjoy them, but it's like, okay, now we all need to get back to, you know, what we need to be doing. So, right, right. yes, yes. Where are your kids? Where are they school-wise? So I have a daughter at Texas Tech and a son at Arizona State. Fantastic. I yeah. have a niece at Texas Tech. She's just going into the nursing program there. Nice. 
All right, very good. Let's get into it. I want to go back to where we usually start, which is back to your career, the start of your career. I'm assuming out of school with your marketing degree, that's that's what you thought you would do is work for someone forever? Or did you have entrepreneurial aspirations back then? Tell us about that time in your life. Well, it's interesting that you asked that because my mom was an entrepreneur. She was one of the first lady general contractors in the state of Arizona when I was growing up. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial home, if you will. But for whatever reason, I had the traditional view, Henry, of, okay, I need to go to college, get my degree, and then get the job, and then you know, climb the corporate ladder. And that was really my path, if you will. But what was interesting, that one of the, the first companies that I worked for um, served small business owners that represented our product. And my role was to work with those business owners to help them build their business. So it was kind of nice because I was in the corporate world, but I, you know, still had the foot, if you will, in the entrepreneurial world. So I lived vicariously uh, through them and helped them to build their business. I mean, I would, you know, I always said, you know, their goals were my goals. I was excited because, you know, the more successful they were, obviously, in representing our product and selling it in the market, obviously, our company did better. Mm -hmm. So it was a win-win situation on both sides. Right. But so interesting that even with that firsthand influence, that's not what you wanted to do. Where do you think that came from? Did your parents say, no, you want to go the career path? How did you respond to that, that you didn't think, I want to do what my mom does? Not necessarily in her line of business, but to be my own boss. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I don't know that I felt even then that I had the business acumen, if you will. And it was, you know, when I went to college, it was that was what you did for the most part. You know, I mean, it was uh, the, you know, go get the college degree. And, and it just, it didn't, it was not even a light bulb in my head to be my own boss at that point in time. What was your perspective of what your mom did? In other words, did you see it as hard work, um, you saw the negative side of it. What did she bring home that maybe influenced how you looked at being your own boss? I think I think that was it. It was hard work. Um, and she was a female in a very male-dominated uh, industry, if you will. So she did remodeling and roofing uh, for homes in the Phoenix area. And, you know, I, I did work for her in, you know, while I was going through high school and learned accounting and job cost accounting and that type of thing. But I, it was, I think the major message that I heard was that you're always hustling in a good way. You know, you're always hustling, looking for that next sale, next job. And it, it you know, <laughs> at my age at that point, it looked really hard. Um, and, you know, while I was going through college, I ended up working for a printer, a commercial printer in Phoenix. And same type of thing. When I saw this gentleman, you know, out, you know, building his business, you know, it just looked really, really hard. And, uh, you know, it, 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 and so I think that's, you know, started my first impression of being your own boss and being your own business is not easy. Yeah. Yeah. So you have this successful career, 25 years. When did it start hitting you that you would like to go off on your own? 
Well, there were two things that really were a trigger, and I allude to it a little bit in the book, in the early part of the end of 2009 and the beginning of 2010, had a fair amount of life events that happened. And, you know, at that point in time, I was traveling a fair amount of weeks every year, a single mom at that time, and raising two kids who were headed or already in high school. And the light bulb went on for me of just saying, you know what, maybe I need to stop my career and be at home because I need, they're going to be gone. Uh, And uh, it wasn't, you know, it was one of those things of saying to myself, Henry, do I really want to delegate parenthood at this point when I think these two kids really need me and, you know, I need to get them on the right path? Um, Not that they weren't, but I didn't want them to deviate. So that was one. And then the second was, uh, at that point, I was in my early 50s. And I I said to myself, you know what, I'm not so sure that the corporate world is still the, the right place for me. And, you know, still was very involved in, at that point, our franchisees, helping them build their business. And I was like, you know what, this is the time, if I'm going to do it, (laughs) I need the courage. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to step out and start my own business. And um, so those two things really, it was the, you know, the, I need to be home and not traveling. And the second was, I kind of had had enough of the corporate world, if you will. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, along the way, and here's my blessings from the corporate world, was I was able to save a fair amount of money, um, you know, and had done some investments along the way. And I like to refer to it as my freedom fund. So I had, you know, some retirement dollars. I had college dollars. But I also had this, <laughs> I called it literally the freedom fund. And it was like, okay, when... When I need that freedom fund, you know, I don't know what it's going to be or how I'm going to use it. But about 2010, it was that's, you know, realizing that's what it was for to help be my seed money in order to get started. And did you have a business idea or, or a business started before you quit or how did what did that process look like? So what, how that looked, that's a good question. I, I did not. But what I felt was the, the thing that I, believe and I believe that others you know I've seen do the same thing is it goes back to your strengths and your skill set and desire and so my strengths were that I truly enjoyed you know the small business owner and working with them to build their business and I knew that I had strengths and skills in the sales and marketing and staffing area to help that so I thought you know let me step away from corporate and begin my own consulting company and just do what I've always done but not with the corporate umbrella if you will and and just you know and and see seek success but I will tell you as you know as you know uh, in speaking with many startups uh, the first couple of years were tough to you know get visible get known um, feel comfortable in talking about fees. Uh, feel comfortable talking about my skill sets and how I could help somebody, and and truly making the sale. Mm-hmm. Were there times you thought maybe I should go back to the corporate world? Well, it, it, it was a fleeting moments. <laughs> uh, 
I, 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 I'll tell you what I enjoyed was I truly did enjoy being at home, uh, if you will, or being around and not traveling for my kids. And so I was like, you know, it kind of just strengthened my courage or my resolve that I need to make this work. I need to figure this out. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about public speaking, but one of the things that um, I landed on was a strategy of, of public speaking that if I speak to business groups, it's a better way for me to get visibility and become known. And so I began doing that and, you know, getting some success with that and getting clients with that to generate clients really did help a lot mm-hmm. in those early in those early years. All right. So let's talk about that. Were you always confident and comfortable speaking in front of an audience? No. <laughs> Uh, I always like to say, you know, great speakers were once bad speakers. I think there's a quote similar to that out there. Uh, In my corporate world, I was working for ADP at the time. And we had a, you know, I don't know, staff development day where we all got together and we had to do a presentation. And I watched some of the others, my colleagues, that really did an excellent job. And I was absolutely quaking in my boots. I was like, and I think it was only a five-minute presentation. We could talk about anything we wanted to talk about, but they just, you had to be in front of a really big group. And, then the, you know, the def- definition of a really big group was maybe 75 people of my, you know, my, my peers. But, oh, it was horrible. And at that point, and that was probably about 2001, 2002, I made my way to Toastmasters in, um, and thought, you know, I, don't, I didn't like that feeling. And I, I really did observe those that were able to get up in front of the room, communicate ideas well, uh, you know, just had, you know, the, the whole room's respect because they could do that. And, uh, and obviously, they, they then were, you know, seen as being a little bit more credible. So that was when I started with Toastmasters of like, okay, I really truly need to master this. Mm-hmm. So Toastmasters is one way you got better at it. Any other tips you can share as to how you overcome that fear, how you get better at it? Well, I believe I'm still involved in Toastmasters, even though I'm part of National Speaker Association. I still believe that it's all about practice and seeking those opportunities where you go through it all the time, uh, you know, on a weekly, monthly basis, that you put yourself in situations where you are either challenged by uh, doing impromptu speaking or a prepared presentation. The more you do it, the more you're comfortable of, I call it two things. One, how do you, how do you craft your message, uh, speech crafting, whatever? Um, and the second is delivery. How do you um, present your ideas such that you get audience engagement? Mm-hmm. So, so practice is, is what you're practice, saying. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, even going back to Toastmasters, it was, you know, you've got a different group, different people, and it was practice, practice, practice. Really, And, and that's how I built my confidence, honestly. All right, let's get into the book that I mentioned. It's called 6 a.m. and I'm already behind. Uh, One of the things or some of the words you start with is the courage to succeed, uh, which is also the name of your business, if I got it right, which is Courage to Succeed Consulting. Would you share with us what that means to you and and why you think it's so important? I think what, what it meant to me was that, you know, when I was involved in the tail end of my career in the in the corporate world was Really, in thinking about stepping out, making my move, doing my resignation, 
you know, getting away from the, you know, twice a month steady, secure paycheck. I was like, okay, this is a big step. This is a big leap. And the words, you know, courage to succeed just kept resonating in my head that I needed the courage to succeed. That and, and as I kind of formed those words and spoke to other people about them, it was like, yes, you know, we do need the courage to succeed. And sometimes we've got to dig really, really deep in order to find that courage, if you will. But I, I knew that I needed to share my talents with the world. And I, I felt that in the corporate world, you know, I had a lot of anxiety. I didn't feel like I was as productive as I wanted to be, not as in control. Um, and I felt like I was always traveling, didn't have, uh, you know, my, my world together, if you will. And to me, the whole courage to seek, succeed was really truly related to um, my own courage to succeed, but then how could I help others with their courage to succeed? Because as I encounter business owners, and, as you, and you know this too, Henry, is that people do, they start a business because they want to succeed, right? They want to make it work. They want to be successful with And so, you know, it just resonated with me that those were some key words and they still resonate with me today. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, and I've read this from others, that then that courage to get started then turns into confidence and, and that's where you go from there. Yeah. Uh, There's a quote out there by uh, Anne Nin and it says, our life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. So if you, you know, so if you think about those, like okay, making that big leap from you know corporate to my own entrepreneurial effort, I, you know that was huge. That was, I mean, my and then my life expanded as a result of it. You know, and then I think sometimes we do shrink our lives and we kind of play small when we've got to look for that you know courage deep within and, and expand it. So, Lauren, why, why did you decide to focus specifically or do the deep dive in this book on productivity and time management? I, I suspect maybe that was a common theme you saw in working with small business owners. Yes, yes, absolutely. And when I looked, Henry, at the those franchisees and those business owners that were successful and that just seemed to have it all together and year after year were able to generate growth in their business – or have a solid staff, it was that they had mastered time, or they had figured out how to be productive. And and then on the flip side, you'd see people struggling with their business, and it was they just couldn't get it together. And so it was like, you know, to me, the time was a key factor, because let's say both sides of the coin there, business owner, had the skills it was that they were just not using their time effectively. Why do you think it is that we struggle so much, especially with traditional techniques? Why, why do we struggle so much with time management and productivity? Well, I, I always like to have, I track it back to uh, we haven't found our recipe. And your recipe for what works for you and my recipe are going to be different, right? You have different energy levels. You, your mind is creative at different times of the day than mine. And so I think one of the key things is to have someone figure out what really works for them. And so, you know, the traditional time management technique, whatever that might be, and there's a bazillion out there, as you know, um, some of them might work for you, some might not. And so you've got to figure out what does work for you so that you're hitting on all cylinders on a, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that really does make the difference. And so sometimes I think there are people out there that we just don't focus on it to figure it out. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I always tell people that you have to find a system that works for you. You have to find something and you have to stick to it so that it becomes a habit. Right. But what works for me may not work for you is your point. Yep. Um, yep, exactly. So you talk in a book about this concept of the productive mind. Can you explain that, what that is? Yeah, so the productive mind is really that you have, uh, you start out the day with a, a like a positive outlook um, to your day's approach. You'll wake up and say, I'm going to be really, you know, my intention is to be productive today. And, and you're deliberate about it. You're focused. And you have a way of thinking about, I'm going, this is what I'm going to accomplish. And at the end of the day, I, I seek personal satisfaction. So at the, when I go to bed at night, I want to say, Lauren, that was a great day. You know, there's, there was a lot of stuff you didn't get done, but there was a lot of stuff that were, that was really important that you did get done. And that, you know, you start out in the morning feeling, okay, I'm ready to tackle the day. And at the end of the day, you feel good of what you did accomplish. Uh, and, and I think part of the shift there, Henry, is the thinking of we're not going to get it all done every day, but we can affect how we look at it each day. Yeah. So to me, that's the beneficial outlook um, as a productive mind. Yeah, I love that. So the subtitle of the book, as I mentioned before, is 30 Strategies to Get Caught Up in a Crazy Busy World. We don't have time, obviously, to touch on all 30, and that's what the book's for. But <laughs> there's three that stood out to me that I'd like to talk a little bit about. In addition to to-do list, I want to put that off for a second. Okay. The first one is staying focused. And I, I bring that one up because it's such an issue for me personally, and I think a lot of small business owners. So talk to us about that. How do we stay focused and become more intentional, as you say in the book? Yes. So, so I like to say that we all have a different, let's say, time parameter on our focus muscle. And, uh, and, and, and part of that is what's our environment, if you will. So breaking that down into basic language. So you might be able to sit at your desk and concentrate for 30 minutes and not move from the desk and just really get something done. I might have a little bit less of an attention span and mine might only be 10 or 15 minutes. So first question is, what is your focus muscle? You know, what's the length of your focus muscle? You know, if you really had, Henry, to sit down and need to do something that, you know, concentrated effort, you know, you know how long could you do it for? Uh, and so yours is going to be different than mine. So one of the things is to know what that is. And if that's the case, you know, it's like then structure what your, your concentrated efforts need to be around that. Or is there a way you can strengthen it or lengthen it a little bit? Um, the other thing is the environment. Uh, I spoke last week, and there was a group that talked to me about a very reactive environment they lived in, where they had a lot of incoming phone calls. And they didn't have a lot of downtime in between phone calls. So the comment was, well, if the max time you have to focus is five minutes, then figure out how you can really focus in five minutes and get, you know, some things done and move, you know, move your tasks forward. But I think, I, I really do believe that, you know, we get lazy with our focus and we allow the environment around us to impact it um, rather than being intentional and saying, okay, I need to get this report done or I need to, you know, write out this letter or I need to knock out this email and it's probably going to take me a half an hour to do it and do it well. Um, we, we get in the middle of it, we get distracted and we allow that to happen. Um, and then we kind of play around with that task for 
let's say, a couple of hours, whereas if we had really controlled our environment and said, okay, I need to focus on this for 30 minutes, get it done in 30 minutes, rather than keep working on it for two hours, you know, hit or miss and intermittently, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so you're touching on the other uh, strategy, which is managing distractions. And so you've touched on some of it, but what are some other tips that small business owners can think about to manage those distractions? So I think, you know, distractions are going to happen. I mean, we, it's, um, and, and it's how, it's kind of your reaction to them. So, I mean, I, I say in the book, there's kind of four of them that really come up. One, you know, the first one is that they're urgent, that, you know, you absolutely have to stop doing what you're doing and deal with that particular distraction. Um, and then the second is the next level is that, you know, the distraction, it's important, but it may be negotiated. So let's say, Henry, that you're in the middle of something that, you know, you wanted to focus and concentrate on something, you know, a phone call comes in and it's your, uh, you know, a colleague that you're working with. They say, you know, hey, Henry, I really need your attention on this. And you say, yes, but, you know, it's not your attention that needs to be happening right at that very moment. So you, and you see, and let's say it's me and I'm calling you and you say, and you say, Lauren, I'm right in the middle of working on something. Is it possible for you and I to catch back up at, you know, two o'clock today? So it's, so you acknowledge me that it was an important distraction, if you will, but you then intentionally figure out when's the best time for you and I to work through that. So acknowledging the importance. Um, the other distractions that come about, you know, would be one-time event. You know, you start out your day and you've got your whole to-do list, you're ready to go. And then, you know, your boss comes in or, you know, a client comes in and says, hey, Henry, I need you to work on this all, you know, you know, this is, you know, everything else needs to, you know, be set aside. But it's a one-time event, doesn't happen very often. And then, you again, either it's negotiated or you actually deal with it. And then the last uh, distraction interruption is, you know, sometimes it's welcome, you know. So <laughs> let's say you close that door, you were going to try to do something for 90 minutes, but your focus muscle really only allowed you 30 minutes. Somebody comes along, distracts you, and you're probably ready for a break, you know, in that 90-minute block of time. You're like, okay, I'm ready to get up, walk around, take a take a break, five-minute, you know, uh, water break, and, and then, then get back at it. So sometimes distractions are welcome just to break the pattern of where you are and, and then get back at it. Um, and those, that's really kind of my perspective on it. Yeah, no, great insights there. I'll give you another example. My, my business partner, David Begin, one of his businesses is car wash business. And as soon as he gets on site at the business, it's distraction after distraction because it's a very physical environment. There's a lot of moving parts, literally and figuratively, and there's always a fire to put out. So what he's started to do is to block out some time where he works either from home or now in a separate office space that we've opened. Mm -hmm. And that's how he manages minimizing those distractions that no matter what his best intentions are, when he gets to the business, they're going to happen, right? It's inevitable. Right. So he accepts that. Exactly. Right. Um, I was working with one lady that, you know, she really needed to, you know, minimize her distractions. And I said, do you have a door, uh, you know, to your office? Yes. Can you close the door? And she's, and you know, her office had an open door policy um, kind of concept. And I said, but yes, but if, you know, could you put on the outside of the door one to two, I'm working on this particular project. And her, and it was interesting. Her reaction was, but the other people in my office are going to think I'm rude. 
And I was like, okay, well then that that's a whole different level of discussion, but be, that you're not being rude. You're just trying to get some things done in a concentrated way. And maybe they need to do that too at, you know, different times during the day as well. And, and, and it's like, you know, managing distractions, you know, does make a difference in your overall productivity. Yeah, no doubt. So the last one I want to talk about before we get into to-do lists is this concept of 75% is good enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I think I know what that means, obviously, from reading in the book, and I've tried to apply that. But for someone like myself who is a perfectionist, how do you do that and what does it really mean? Right, right. Um, I, you know, I, I like to say that, you know, the perfectionists want to get it at 100%. And, you know, sometimes 75 just feel, percent just feels so wrong, so bad. But there, I think there's things, Henry, where, you know, it, 75% is okay. Um, and that if you were to, you know, spend that extra time to get to the 100%, it may not make a difference. Um, I mean, I think there's, there's tasks that we do that need to be accurate. Uh, you know, if you're working on a report or a presentation, you want it to be error-free. But, but it, it, there's at some point you have to say to yourself, okay, I can only go back to this so many times to get it to be perfect. And then I have to stop. You, you physically have to say to yourself, stop, don't do this anymore, you know, don't spend any more time on it because it's not going to matter. And that's hard for a perfectionist to do that. And so, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of people will say, well, 90% is okay. It was like, I dialed it all the way back to 75%. Um, I know, like, example, if I'm working on a presentation, I'll work on it for, you know, uh, you know, about three drafts. And then I've got to, I say to myself, you're done. This is as good as it's going to get. And the extra time is not going to deliver that much more benefit. Yeah, my partner, David, talks about this also as it relates to delegating and that sometimes we hesitate to delegate because we think it has to be done at a 100% level, at my 100% level. But that's not the case. A lot of times to keep us and the business moving forward, Delegating to somebody else who might do it at what I would call 75% is more than good enough. Yes, and particularly in those not-so-exacting situations. Right. Exactly, yeah. And you, by delegating, you've just saved yourself a lot of time. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about to-do lists. The book obviously goes into a lot of detail on it and, and gives tremendous insights and tips. I want to talk about a couple of different aspects of it. First is you rec recommend three different types of lists. Would you explain that and introduce that concept? Sure. So the first list that I, yeah, I like to say, most of us have just one list, which is the to-do list. And the to-do list generally has, you know, today's work, uh, tomorrow's work, next week's work, someday work. And it really is a, here are the things that are in your head that you want to get on paper or on an electronic page. And all of those are good. But I recommend that we think of it as like a master list and that it really truly is uh, you know, what's in your head, if you will. Um, and it, it, it's a good thing to have. The second piece would be, what is your today list, if you will? Um, what, you know, so if you look at it, um, it's what am I going to be working on today? And I call that, uh, Henry, the capacity list. So let me go back to the master list for just a second. If I've written down those keywords of things that, you know, either I know need, I need to do today, next week, or someday, there's a column that I recommend we add in there, and that is approximately how long do we think it's going to take us to do that task. And we won't 
get it right, but it'll be, it'll be an idea, right? So then if we move to the capacity list, it's what is our capacity today uh, of what I can really get done? And here's where I think we set ourselves up to fail is that we look at that master list, we get totally overwhelmed, and, and we need to shift our thinking of saying, okay, I'm working on my today list, my capacity list. I've got certain commitments that, you know, I'm on the phone with you, I've got a couple of meetings, I've got a conference call. In reality, I might only have three or four hours work today that I could actually get work done other than the commitments that I've made. So my capacity list is I go into that master list and look at what are the tasks that I can really get done today realistically in that three or four hours? How can I best show up getting done what I need to get done? And also keeping in mind what's really important, if you will, of what's, um, you know, what what, what are a couple of things I really need to get done today? So that's the second list. The third list is the next 90-day list. And I always like to say the next 90 days is saying, you know, over the next 90 days, and it could be on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis, what are the two or three big, really, really important things that I want to get done? And and I always like to say it's more projects than tasks. And then our, you know, our tasks then kind of fill up our, you know, our daily list and that type of thing. But I think, you know, one of the areas that I see people in business owners that don't spend enough time really planning and thinking about what is it that I want to get done and then how am I going to get it done? Yeah, no, most business owners are reactive. We're dealing with the crisis of the day, the client that's got a problem, whatever's yes. happening at our plant. You know, we're dealing with those things and we just figure the day will dictate, right? Yep, yep. Uh, so the master list is it, it, something comes to me or somebody says we should do this or I agree to do something, it goes there. It's the catch-all to all of the different projects and tasks that I'm responsible for in one way or another. I then on a daily basis, or at least on a daily work basis, create my capacity list. And and maybe ideally the night before, however the planning might work for each individual. Right. I'm still confused on the, on the next 90 days. How often do I create or refresh that? I, I generally recommend it's like a once a month deal where you, you know, and it's not a long process. It's just like, you know, we're, you know, let's say at the end of August, here's what I got done, you know, big things in August. As I look at September, October, November, what are some things, big things that I want to accomplish and make sure that I'm on track with. And, and that, and it really more is, because I think our, our, if we try to plan out for a whole year of what we want to do, it, it gets really fuzzy. But we have a, a better, you know, horizon or a sight toward our horizon for the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, in September, here's a couple of big things I want to get accomplished. Here's a couple of big things in October. And, you know, and, and you kind of go forward from there. Um, the, uh, of the three, to me, you know, the, the first two are the most important. Um, that master list is, is one that I believe is better on paper or an electronic page than in your head. Uh, we still, a lot of us carry a lot of, of our to-dos in our head, and I think we're better using our brain power for problem solving or processing rather than storing, I call it storage, of our to-do items. Yeah, I agree completely. And I've been using that approach of the two lists for some time now. Mm-hmm. What, it, what it did for me when I started doing this you know, several years back is 
I used to have just the one master list and it always just seemed so overwhelming, so mm-hmm. insurmountable, no way I could get it done. Now by making it, and I don't always do it on a daily basis. If I'm honest, sometimes it's a list that'll run for the week, but these are the, uh-huh. most, the most important things that I have. And that's the other key thing you talk about is identifying you recommend on a daily basis, there's two or three most important tasks, right? Yes. Yes. And, and and for the most part, I mean, most time management productivity experts recommend that as well, because it's, it's a bite-sized chunk. We can, we can get that done um, as long as we kind of focus on that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that it's not a situation that it's the end of day, it's five o'clock and you're like, you look at the list, and you're like, I didn't get a darn thing done. Yeah. And, and oftentimes it's like, it, what you're really saying is I didn't get a darn thing done that I wanted to get done. I got stuff done for everybody else, but not what was important to me. That's right. Or that right. moves my business forward or that helps me grow and et cetera, et cetera. And this exactly. is all so interrelated, the time management, the productivity management and to-do lists, it's all intertwined. I think what happens in my observation, especially for small business owners, is we are so busy, we get so caught up with the activities of the day, putting out the fires, that we've abandoned the two lists with the argument, well, I never get to those things anyway. But what (laughs) we're missing, I think, the biggest takeaway is that we're missing not blocking out time and finding those productive periods of times to do the important things that move us and our business forward. Exactly. And here's what I like to say, you know, I used, we used the phrase earlier about the productive mind. And to me, it confronts the new norms where it's okay that we feel behind and overwhelmed. We want to confront that. We don't want to accept that, right? And we want to get away from the trap that there's, you know, that we're all, we're busy being busy. And I call it the superficial productivity. We, you know, we're working on things that really don't matter much, right? Or don't move our business, as you said. And I, and I think the other thing we have to confront is, uh, I call it the runaway expectations. Um, meaning that, you know, in today's world, as you know, if I sent you an email, Henry, uh, and I have, you know, high expectations, I might be looking for your response, you know, five minutes later, which is not really realistic. It's a runaway expectation. You're like, why hasn't, you know, Henry responded back to me, you know, but we're, you know, everything is so sped up, if you will. But, you know, it, that's part of our, that's part of our society and part of our issues. But here's the reality of all of that is that it impacts our emotional and physical health. You know, I mean, if we are always feeling behind or we always have anxiety about what we need to get done, we're, you know, we're behind the eight ball. We're just not, you know, it doesn't feel good. Yeah, well said. So, Lauren, let's talk, uh, if you give me a summary of the services that your business, Courage to Succeed Consulting, the services that you offer clients. So the summary is that I work with individuals and business owners who are interested in impacting their time and what they get done and what matter, I call, you know, my phrase is what matters most right now so that we can, they can feel better about what they get accomplished, improve profits. It could be, but at the end of the day, improve personal satisfaction. And the way that we do that is either in, you know, a one-on-one situation, it could be uh, a group coaching and, or it could be, um, you know, presentations to small groups, leadership teams, and or um, in, you know, I do keynote speaking and workshops and all with the effort of, Uh, focused on productivity. Uh, And, you know, I'm not one of those believers, Henry, that says, 
you know, let's get twice as much done in half the time. You know, I don't believe that. I think, I think we need to get done what we need to get done in the time that's available to us and feel good about it. Yeah, fantastic. So we'll start to wrap it up. A couple more questions. Besides your own book, which I recommend to folks, is there a book you've read recently that you would recommend to our audience? Yes, I found this book. Oh my gosh, this book is called The Productivity Project. And it's written by a gentleman uh, by the name of Chris Bailey. And, you know, he talks about a lot of what I talk about as well. And so, you know, kindred spirit here. But the way that he wrote it is very, very engaging. And what's interesting about it is he calls, he actually um, he graduated in May of 2013. So I'm guessing he's a millennial. But he, he created a project of his own called A Year of Productivity. So he did a whole bunch of experiments as to, you know, what worked, like getting up early or, you know, doing different things. And he outlines it in this book. I was like amazed and I just absolutely loved it. And he did a fair amount of research as well. Business degree, he's written a blog. So I honor, I actually have to reach out to this guy because I just, I'm, I'm enamored with the book and obviously love the topic. Um, so The Productivity Project by Chris Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to that book in the show notes page, and our listeners can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. So as we close it up, I'd like to get a parting piece of advice that we would for our listeners. Obviously, the, at the heart of what you do and help people do is, like you said, to focus on what matters most right now. Uh, but if you think of our audience that's looking to either make that transition into becoming their own boss or their and existing small business owners, parting piece of advice for them. Well, I, I have a quote, uh, by, and it's Ralph Alder Emerson, and it says, finish each day and be done with it. You've done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities, no doubt, crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow's a new day. Begin it well and serenely, and with too high a spirit to be encumbered with your old nonsense. And so my belief, Henry, in, in the parting information and advice is, you know, take each day as it comes, do what you can, feel accomplished, and ultimately, I think it will improve your personal satisfaction and your overall emotional and physical health, which is, you know, really what matters in the end anyway. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. And where can folks go online to find out more about you and your business? So about my business is laurenmidgley.com. L-A-U-R-E-N-M-I-D-G-L-E-Y.com. And with regard to the book, I have a website called it's 6ambook.com. Great. And we'll have links to both of those sites in the show notes page of the Howard Business. Lauren, thanks for taking this time to be with us and share all this great knowledge and insight. You're quite welcome. It's my pleasure. I love it. Thanks, Henry. Thank you. Folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.